had the news today, oh boy. <laughs> and learn that there is a threat of war in the Middle East. Learn that Planned Parenthood has raked in millions upon millions of U.S. taxpayer dollars. Learn something about scores in the NFC or NFL playoffs. And like many of you, wait desperately to hear what Jerry Jones will do with Jason Garrett. <laughs> and in the midst of all of this news swirling around us, we hear that this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And much like this good news breaks into our experience and in our world today, so the good news of Jesus Christ broke into the Greco-Roman world in which Judea and Jerusalem, the Jordan River, Galilee and Nazareth were all situated. This introductory statement to the Gospel of Mark, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is far more politically charged than perhaps we realize in the 21st century. This gospel fell like a bomb in the playground of the Roman Empire. For when the gospel was written and we hear the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, everyone who heard the, this gospel for the first time would have heard what this meant. That Caesar has a rival. That the empire of Rome has a rival kingdom coming against it. That this Jesus is going to enter into the land as a conqueror, as the true and better Joshua. He's going to topple cities. He's going to bring down strongholds. He's going to come proclaiming a kingdom. Mark echoes something from the prophet Isaiah to tell us that Isaiah, speaking God's word, foretold a time in which someone would come to prepare the way for the Lord, who would come and clear out the trails and pathways, who would make it easy and straight and smooth for the Lord to make His way into the hearts and minds of people, into the land. And this section of Isaiah, Isaiah 40, begins with two very important words. In Isaiah 40, the Lord God speaks to His people and says, Comfort, comfort, O My people. The good news of Jesus Christ is that God is coming into the world in Jesus to bring comfort and comfort to His people who are living in the midst of a very uncomfortable world. A world filled with conflict and controversy. Comfort, comfort, O My people. This is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Last week, in our, as we wrapped up a series of questions that God asked, the question Jesus asked us, the question the God-man asked us is, who do you say I am? And we've been wrestling with that question all week, perhaps, at least I have been. Continue to wrestle with this. And now we're entering into a series in which we will be able to answer this question in a very full way. Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus that breaks 
onto the scene, enters into human experience with a hype man, a prophet, declaring Him to be the Christ, the Son of God. What is this good news that is going to be proclaimed to us? And so throughout the Gospel of Mark and throughout this series, we'll be able to answer more fully the question that Jesus posed to us. We won't have to guess. We won't have to make it up. We will hear from the Gospel, who is this Jesus? And at the outset, we hear that this Jesus is the Christ. He is the Anointed One. He is the King, the Son of God, God's representative on the earth. The story begins with a wild man preaching good news of repentance and forgiveness of sins. And through the years, I've tried to imagine what John the Baptist would look like, and I've come up with different uh, different personalities through the years, depending on the, the age in which I've lived or the time in which I've reflected on this text. I'll give you an example. I mean, there was a time in my life when I would think of John the Baptist as sort of a grizzly Adams. Some of you understand who Grizzly Adams is. And then I advanced from that and I said, no, he's more like Ted Nugent. <laughs> and then I come to Rockwall Press, I know that he's like Tom Roll. <laughs> Why aren't you laughing at that? <laughs> Beard, strong, tough guy, preaching poetic words to the people of God. Here he is preaching from the prophets, echoing the prophets, bringing their word to bear on the people of God at the Jordan River. And he's helping to answer this question, who is this Jesus? John appears on the scene. Notice he is John the baptizer, baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Many people get hung up on the first parts of this statement, but I want you to look at that last part. John is preaching the forgiveness of sins. He is a prophet in the tradition of the Old Testament prophets. And for people who say, well, there was no forgiveness in the Old Testament. There was no forgiveness in the past before Jesus came. That's not what John says. He is the last of the prophets and the greatest of all the prophets, preaching that God is coming to forgive the sins of His people. He appears in the spirit of Elijah. He's dressed in a very strange way. This is the son of a priest, by the way. A son of a priest who is not serving at a temple, but out in the countryside, out in the wilderness. Throughout this story, we hear all of these Exodus motif things popping up. Wilderness, and there's locust, and there's honey, and there's a river. All of these images come crashing together in John the Baptist. But the thing I want to highlight for you here is what we are about to witness is the transfer, the transfer of one ministry to another. As John the Baptist, who has come in the spirit of Elijah, is about to pass the mantle to Jesus Christ, who will come with a double portion of John's spirit. The echoes and the fulfillment of those echoes are replete through this story. Interesting thing about John the Baptist, notice his diet. You might wonder why in the world would Mark even mention John's diet. I don't want you to get any crazy ideas that here at the beginning of the new year, as you've made resolutions to trim down and eat healthier, that you should do what John does. The gospel does not say that you should 
go out and eat locust and wild honey. Some of you might be tempted to try that. We live in a day in which millennials eat Tide Pods and such, but maybe some of you will be... If you do try this, let us know. Come back with a report. But I think part of what's happening here is John is eating locust and wild honey, and the imagery that's built into that runs along these lines, that John is the plague devourer. Remember the plague that wiped out Egypt, the plague that destroyed Egypt, and Israel was spared. Now John comes eating locusts, and locusts throughout the Old Testament was always a sign of plague and judgment, but what is John doing? He's devouring the locusts, eating up the plague, consuming the thing that would harm people, and he is enjoying the fruits of life in the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he's eating these things. He comes as a symbol of what life in the promised land should look like, yes, God's people are aliens and strangers in the world. Yes, they dress differently. Yes, they look odd. Yes, they stand out on the margins from everyone else. And yet, this is where God dwells, at the margins. And here's John preaching. And notice that John does what every good pastor should be doing, is he points away from himself to Jesus. This is what he keeps repeating over and over again. He's preaching Jesus, preparing the way for the Lord. And notice he says here, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. In other words, John is elevating the person of Jesus Christ above himself and pointing everyone away from him to Jesus. This is his mission, not to build his own empire, not to build his own massive congregation, but to draw people to the person of Jesus. Some of the Jewish rabbis mentioned that this, this image, by the way, of, uh, of one person untying the sandals of another, they said that when, when someone became a student of a rabbi, he was to do everything that a slave was to do for his master except this one thing, untie the strap of his shoes. What is John telling us? What is John telling that first audience that heard him preach? He's saying, I'm less, I'm even lower than a student. I'm even lower than a disciple of the Christ. I'm a slave of the Christ and a slave for the Christ and a servant of the Christ and I'm not even worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. That's how lowly John considered himself. And this is not a false modesty. This is the true modesty of John who is preaching in such a way that he draws attention to the person and work of Jesus. This is what a good hype man does. I haven't been in very many places where you have hype men, so I've had to Google it and watch YouTube videos and read about it. But a hype man does this kind of thing. He gets the crowd worked up, and he gets everyone into a frenzy, getting them thinking not about himself, although he does draw some attention to himself, but it's for the purpose of what? Highlighting the one who is to come. 
Notice that John says, the one who comes after me is mightier than I. So a lot of people in this day are thinking, John is mighty. He's like a prophet. He's like, he's like one of the prophets of old, and he's coming to us, and this means God is near us. And some went beyond that and said, perhaps John is even the Christ. Perhaps he is the Christ. When you read the other gospel stories, you find that many people were concerned that he might be the Christ, and if he is in fact the Christ, then we need to pay extra special attention to him. Now, why would they think John was the Christ just because he's dressed in weird clothes and has a strange diet and he's out in the wilderness preaching from a river? They think he might be the Christ because they see in John what the prophets had been telling them. That when God draws near in the days of the Christ, God is going to do some things for his people that they never expected, that they didn't believe would ever happen. God will bring forgiveness of sins to them. God is going to bring the gift of the Holy Spirit to them. God is going to purify them. And God has said throughout the prophets and throughout the Old Testament that in the days of the Christ, He is going to be sprinkling clean water on His people and pouring water on the dry ground. And now you have John the Baptist on behalf of God doing that very thing. You have John the Baptist doing that very thing. Sprinkling water, pouring water on people as they come down to the river. Now I know what some of you are thinking. Wait a minute. We live in the Bible Belt and we always, we've seen those Jesus movies. And we know how this thing plays out. And maybe it did play out the way you see it in the movies with John baptizing thousands upon thousands of people one at a time. Can you imagine how large this bicep must have been if that were the case? No, I actually think that John was doing what the Christ was going to do. And because of that, people thought he might be the Christ. Now, some of you are reading your text carefully in verse 10, and he says, but here it says that Jesus came up out of the water, and immediately he saw something. And I get where you're coming from. I know what's in your mind. I was there, too, thinking those same thoughts. But let me illustrate something for you. Put your mind at ease. Several years ago, I went to New York to visit a friend of mine on Long Island. He's one of my best friends in the world. And I got to Long Island, I said, you've you got to take me to see the Atlantic Ocean. I've never seen the Atlantic Ocean. I want to see it. And he took me out to a beach on Long Island, and we were looking over the Atlantic Ocean. It was a little cool. Wind is blowing. And I said, I've got to touch the water. I can't just be here. It was too cold to swim. But I said, let's go down. Let's go down to the water. And so we did. And we both walked into the Atlantic Ocean. And we went as far as we could, as deeply as we could. And we got it to about right here. The water was about this deep. And we were freezing. And we splashed each other a little bit because that's what buddies do. And we threatened to dunk each other and wrestle in the water. But we didn't do that because we were only this deep. We both went down into the Atlantic Ocean. And when we couldn't take it anymore, guess what we did? We both came up out of the Atlantic Ocean. And as I like to tell my friend all the time, neither one of us was immersed. <laughs> but that's not really the point of the story, is it? That was a little, chase a little rabbit trail for you. To stir the waters a little bit, the waters of your mind to get you thinking about what's happening in this story. The point of this is that John is preaching in such a way that he is making it clear to the to the Jews around him, God's people 
that God considers you guys to be unclean. And you've got to come and be cleansed because the Christ is coming. And then Jesus shows up and he does what everyone else is doing. But the question we ask is why would he be baptized? He was not unclean. He didn't have any sin. Why would he be baptized? And he was baptized, as many passages tell us, to fulfill all righteousness. Which is not something that you and I can do. We cannot fulfill all righteousness not even with our baptisms. Only Jesus could do that because he was without sin. So Jesus goes into, the, he goes into the river with John and he receives baptism and he comes out for two reasons. One is because God says, this is how I'm going to reveal my son to the world. The other is, is he is coming to identify with the people of God. He is coming to identify with us who are sinners. And so he receives baptism and then makes his way back out to conduct his ministry. John is saying to the people, prepare the way for the Lord. Change your life. Get cleaned up. The Lord is coming. Prepare yourselves for his arrival. Now I want you to look at something that very beautiful that happens here in the story. That when Jesus was baptized... Verse 10 says, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open, the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice from heaven saying, you are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Now all you little children who were here last week, remember in our children's lesson, we learned about one God and three persons. And we used a very fancy word to describe that. If you can think of it, say it out loud. One God, three persons. What's our fancy word? Starts with a T. Trinity. Yes, thank you. Trinity. And notice that in this story of Jesus' baptism, we have the Trinity all together. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all together in one place. One God and three persons. And for all you fathers out there, I want you to pay close attention to what God our Father does with his son Jesus. Learn from your father a very important lesson. Learn from your father that it is right and good for you to encourage your sons early and often. Again, this is a side note to the story, but I want you to learn this. I need to learn this. To encourage your sons early and often. Don't be afraid to tell your sons that you love them. Don't be afraid to remind your sons that they are loved by you. Don't be afraid to tell your sons that you are pleased with them. Don't be afraid to tell your sons that they make you happy. And do the same for your daughters. For God knows they need to hear it. They need to hear all of it early and often. God the Father shows us here in passing the way a good father would treat his son. But isn't it beautiful to see that all three persons of the Trinity come together at the time of Jesus' baptism. And isn't it beautiful to know that the same happened when you were baptized? That all three persons of the Trinity were present as God wrote His name on you. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. As He made you His own and put His covenant name on you. Now, we see here that the skies were being torn open. The heavens were torn open. 
That's the kind of phrase that you might pass over. You might be reading it and pass over. You might think, I don't even know what that looks like. What would that mean? I don't know what it means. I don't even know what Jesus saw when it says he saw the heavens being torn apart. But I do know this, that at the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we see the sky ripped open. So now there is an opening that no longer separates heaven and earth. And at the end of Mark's gospel, we see the same kind of thing happening at the death of Jesus when the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The same imagery, heaven and earth, are now one and reunited because of the person and work of Jesus. The Hebrew writer tells us that Jesus opened up for us a new and living way through His own body, through His flesh, and with the giving of His blood. And it's because of this that you and I have the right and the privilege to draw near to God with boldness and confidence because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. Now go back to our story for just a moment. Jesus comes to fulfill all righteousness. He's coming into the land as the true and better Joshua. He is going to conquer this land and then eventually conquer the world. And all those who were baptized at the Jordan at that time were baptized into the true and better Joshua. They identify with him. They relate to him. And this mighty one goes about conquering the world. But not in the way that Caesar would. Not with sword and spear. Not with missile and bomb. Not in that kind of forceful, violent way. But he does so with grace and truth. He comes bringing the gospel to bear on the world. And he does so in what we would consider to be a very weak way. He comes preaching to us. Preaching. Proclaiming the kingdom of God to us. And even calls us at the end to repent and believe the gospel. To change our minds and believe the gospel. Now, John the Baptist called his generation to prepare for the way of the Lord. And to this end, at this very moment, in my own feeble way, I'm calling you to prepare for the way of the Lord. Simply echoing the cry of John the Baptist, who was echoing the cry of Isaiah, who spoke by the prophet Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for His feet. Clear the road for His coming. Let me ask you a couple of questions just by way of application. If you knew that Jesus Christ was headed your way today, if you knew that He was coming tomorrow, if you knew that He was simply coming soon, what would you do? Would you do anything different? If you knew that Jesus were coming to your house, if you knew that He was coming to visit you at work, if you knew that He was coming to hang out with your family, if you knew that He was coming to visit us at Rockwall Prez, what would you do? How would you prepare yourself to meet the Lord Jesus? What kind of changes would you make in your life? What would you do to prepare the way for the Lord? Do you not know? Have you not heard the good news of Jesus? The behold, your God is coming. And he will come at an hour when we least expect him. So heed the words of the prophets who said, Prepare the way for the Lord Jesus to come to you. Repent of your sins. Make real changes in your heart and in your mind, in your life.
Center yourselves on the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess your sins to God. Go on record against yourself early and often. Hold nothing back. And remember that God is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. If you've been baptized into Christ, improve upon your baptism. Live the cross-shaped life. Live in a way that shows that you are conforming more and more to the Lord Jesus. And if you have never received baptism in your life, what are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on the name of the Lord. There's much to consider as we battle for the good news of Jesus Christ. As I said at the outset, I know that our hearts and minds are full of all kinds of stories, all kinds of news, all kinds of rival gospels that wage war in our hearts. And it is my hope and prayer that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, will arise in your heart and reign supreme above them all. Who is this Jesus? We've heard many things about him today, but one thing we know is that he is the Christ, the beloved Son of God. The Father loves Him, and I hope and pray that your hearts are moved to love Him as well. Let us pray together. Oh God, we give you thanks and praise for the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man who came into the world to conquer sin and death. As this gospel news breaks into our lives and we're called to revisit it again, I pray that it will not be deafened, or silenced by the variety of news stories clamoring for our attention. I pray that this good news of Jesus will reign supreme in our thoughts and minds and begin to shape us in our living as we go on mission with you into our world to proclaim the kingdom of God. We pray, God, first of all, that you will reign in our hearts, that Jesus will be set apart as a Lord and Christ, and that we will... Go forth in the power of the Spirit and the kingdom of God. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.